Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And then finally, we get down a few, uh, uh, some time later, and then Saul, instead of obeying God, he decides he's got something better in mind. I'm not going to destroy all the Amalekites. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to destroy the king. God had to raise up Samuel to do that. And then finally, we get uh, several hundred years later, we get a, a gentleman by the name of Haman who was from that line, an Agagite, from Agag, from the line of the Amalekites. He makes a decision to exterminate the Jews because of his hatred of the people. And all these acts of disobedience nearly led to the extermination of the Jews. At least four people, their decisions almost wiped out an entire race of people. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Pastor Rob finalizes Deuteronomy chapter 25 with a continued explanation on why God reminds the nation of Israel of the actions of the Amalekites. As the Amalekites continued to attempt to wipe out the Jewish nation, God gave the nation of Israel several commands to destroy the Amalekites, but those commands were not carried out to their fullest. When we disobey God's commands, there are negative consequences that we have to live with. Now turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 25, and let's follow along with Pastor Rob. Captive the women and those who were there, from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken away captive. And now David was greatly distressed for the people, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop, these Amalekites? Shall I overtake them? And you know what I love about that? David knew the word of God. He knew that God had this thing with the Amalekites. David knew. He read Deuteronomy, what we read tonight. He knew that scripture. But notice, he didn't presume anything. And I love that about David. He wasn't presumptuous. He had his issues, just like we all do, but he went to the Lord. Notice, even though he knew the will of God, smartly he went to the Lord and says, Shall I pursue this troop? Not presuming anything. Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall overtake them, and without fail recover all. And so he does, and they do recover all. And it's a wonderful day, but the Amalekites still are on the move. Now fast forward several hundreds of years now 
after the Babylonian captivity, and after Babylon and the, the Nebuchadnezzar, they fade from the scene, and now Media is on the, you know, the, the Babylonians were succeeded by the Medes and the Persians, and that was around the time of Esther. And you will re- recall in Esther that Haman was a big player in that time period. He was the antagonist, really. He hated the Jews. He was in a very high rank in Xerxes' sphere of influence, a very high-ranking officer, very close to the king. And we find out in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, that he was an Agagite. What is an Agagite? An Agagite is someone who has descended from Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Agag. And there's good reason to believe that because he's an Agagite, he was of the royal line of Agag. And do you think he knew the history? You better believe he did. Do you think that stirred up the anger and the jealousy and the the hatred? And certainly the devil is inspiring this man to exterminate and wipe out this whole group of people, the Jews. That was his intention. He already had a a bitter hatred. It went back hundreds of years. And now Satan goes, oh, I got somebody in the great place now. And he uses this man, and he nearly exterminates the Jews. But notice, he is a descendant from Amalek. He's from Agag. And so, Haman was the the enemy of the Jews. And you remember that God raised up Esther at the right time, for such a time as this. You know, whatever the devil has in plan. Anybody know how to play chess in the room? If you've never learned how to play chess, it's a wonderful game. I love playing chess. And, but one of the things I think is I think of how the devil is doing these pieces. He's moving these pieces on the board, and God all along is going, before you're started, it's already checkmate. And the devil's going, oh, yeah? And God's like, well, of course. Who do you think I am? Much better than Kasparov. I know the move you're going to make. I've already anticipated it. I've already got something in motion, devil, that you have never seen. You, don't even, you can't even comprehend it. You know why? Because you're not omniscient like I am, God says. I alone am omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. You don't have those three qualities. God alone has those qualities. But why do I bring this up? Because if you think of it, Haman, his existence is the result of disobedience by at least four people. By Esau, because he married a Canaanite woman. Do you think your decision that you make today isn't going to have future ramifications? Oh, they do. And I'm so glad that when I make a mistake, I I can't see the full end of what's going to happen. Sometimes my sin that I commit is something inside of myself, and hopefully it doesn't manifest itself in a physical way. It's just something in my heart. But there's a, a, a consequence for that, the lack of desire for God, the lack of wanting to be in his word because sin has tainted my heart. I, don't, I no longer want to be around other people because I'm ashamed of what I'm thinking or what I'm doing or what I'm thinking about in my head. But there's some sins that when they are out there in the physical, they do have ramifications. And this is a really good example. Because now Esau, mad at his brother Jacob and mad at his parents for, Dad, Isaac, how can you bless Jacob? I was the firstborn. And yet he despised his own birthright. He gives it to Jacob. And 
and Isaac blesses Jacob. And he's like, okay, and, and then it's not too long after God or Isaac blesses Jacob that he tells him to go up to Pedan Aram, up there in Aram, in the north, and, and go to our family, like I did. That's how I found Rebecca. Go up there, Jacob, and find a woman. And he goes up there. He finds Rachel and Leah of his own kin. Oh, but not Esau. I'm so mad at you, Dad. I'm gonna, everything you say, I'm going to do in spite of you. Everything that you've taught me, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Have you ever had that attitude toward your parents? Maybe for good reason. Maybe you're mad at your family. Maybe you're mad at your dad or your mom. And out of spite, out of anger, out of frustration, you say, I'm going to do the exact opposite just to stick the needle in your eye. People do that. So Esau marrying the Canaanite woman, Ada. And then finally, Eliphaz, marrying Ada, who was a Hittite, the second mistake. Instead of stopping the spread of sin and, and, and going in the opposite direction, he just continues going. Remember that verse that says, uh, the, the Lord will uh, forgive the iniquity and, and, and all that to the third and the fourth generation of those who, or I, I will, uh, I, I'm messing that up. He'll hold the iniquity on those who are uh, to the third and the fourth generation of those that hate me. Remember we talked about that last week? Well, here's a good example of that. Instead of turning, which he had the ability to do, he knew what was right. He should have known what was right. Maybe he didn't, his parents didn't share it with him. But now he's got a decision to make. He makes his own decision. I'm going to marry this Ada. She's a Hittite. I'm going to marry her. And then finally we get down a few, uh, uh, some time later, and then Saul, instead of obeying God, he decides he's got something better in mind. I'm not going to destroy all the Amalekites. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to destroy the king. God had to raise up Samuel to do that. And then finally, we get uh, several hundred years later, we get a, a gentleman by the name of Haman who was from that line, an Agagite, from Agag, from the line of the Amalekites. He makes a decision to exterminate the Jews because of his hatred of the people. And all these acts of disobedience nearly led to the extermination of the Jews. At least four people, their decisions almost wiped out an entire race of people. But God. <laughs> but God. He raises up an Esther, a woman. I like it. It's not some mighty warrior. No, the, the, the four people's lies and the perpetuation of all that disease is stopped by a young girl. I love the, the way that that works, you know. She doesn't even have a, she doesn't even have a gun. She doesn't have a dagger in her shoe. She has nothing. She has the word of God. She goes in and she tells the king. But there are ramifications for disobedience. We saw that with Abraham and Hagar, didn't we? The results of Abraham and Sarah not being obedient to the Lord, just looking at their own bodies, which is very natural. We can't have kids. We're really old, you know. Sarah's past childbearing, and I'm too old to even, I can't even see her hardly. And then Sarah's like, well, I don't think there's any hope for us, but, you know, there's this young Hagar. Abraham goes in unto her and gives birth to an Ishmael. And the people of Ishmael have always been, and, and also the people of Esau, have been enemies of Israel to this very day. There's been a lot of intermingling, but it all came back to those two choices again. Those two choices. 
So how about you? What kinds of decisions have you made that you wish you could go back on? You know, David made a lot of mistakes in his life, and we read about them in Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12. We, we read about that as deal with Bathsheba and with Uriah. But do you notice what happened to David, even though these things were true, and the devil certainly was whispering in the ear of God saying, can, can you believe what he did? He not only was thinking about it, God, he wasn't even, think, he, he wasn't even just thinking about it, he actually went through the act. How, how can you work through this guy? How can your, the Messiah come through this line of Judah? You've got to give me a break. You can just hear the devil just, you know. And yet David cracked like an egg. He turned, he repented, but David also knew there were consequences for his sin. He lost his firstborn son from Bathsheba, and not only that, but Nathan had to come to him and say, David, you've given great accusation for the enemy, and as a result, the sword is never going to depart from your house. God forgives you. You're not going to die, because you deserve death. You committed adultery, and you murdered her husband. You deserve death, David. And David knew he deserved death. And yet David also, or God knew David's heart, and David repented. Can you imagine those hours that he spent there in the the house of God as he's just pouring out his heart, saying, God, I deserve every wicked thing. I deserve every bad thing. Bring it upon me, Lord. I deserve it. Do with me whatever you want. And that was David's prayer because his heart was broken. It was contrite. He was willing for his own life to be offered if it would help. And God says, you know what, David? I haven't seen a sweetheart like that in such a long time. You commit such a heinous thing, and yet I love you, and you confessed your sin to me, and I forgive you, David. You're not going to die. But there's going to be consequences. There are things in motion now, David, that I can't stop. I won't stop. And even though David had this depth of character, this depth of relationship with God throughout his tenure as king, I think David knew God more than most people who had never committed those sins. He knew a depth. Now, that doesn't mean that we can go out and just commit sin all for the sake of that God's grace may abound. Paul says that. He says, God forbid you should do that. You don't commit sin that God can forgive you because his grace is much greater. No, it's better not to sin. But when you do, God can forgive you and he can restore you. But David made these same mistakes. But aren't you wonderful that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose? That's you, saint. That's you, brother and sister in Christ. That is us. When we make a mistake, we can go to God and we can ask him to forgive us. And he will forgive us. And he will not only do that, but he will cleanse us, as it says in 1 John chapter 1, He'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as if it had never happened. We like to dig it up and look at it. I can't believe I did that five years ago, and the God's going, well, four years ago, you, um, you repented of that sin, did you not? Yeah, Lord, I remember crying on my carpet, and I got pneumonia because I was inhaling all the dust from the carpet. And Lord, I remember that day, and I, I, you know, I had slobber all over my face. I looked like my bull mastiff. I just had you know, slobber all over my I remember that day, and God's going, then why are you looking at it again? Did I forgive you? Then why are you digging it up? Can you walk on a newness of life? See, I think 
when we come across stuff like this, it ought to stir us, it ought to encourage us, especially in the, in the line of repentance. When we do repent, God can take those things and he can make them for, he can turn them around for our good. Certainly we can encourage others with the comfort we've been comforted of God when we repent and we sense the glory return to us and God's favor come upon our lives again. Boy, isn't that just like wonderful? That's like... It's better than the maraschino cherry and the whipped cream on top of that vanilla ice cream that's so wonderful. It's better than that. And you get to share that with somebody and lead them away from their own sin. But think about your decisions that you're going to make tomorrow. Think about the decisions that you have to make this week. And don't be paralyzed in fear. We don't need to be paralyzed in fear, folks. You know what? We'd have to be saturated with the Word of God. Be saturated with the word of God and love Christ with all of your heart and never give up anything. Make the time. You'll never get the time. You've got to make it in this world, in this busy, crazy world. You've got to make it. I've got to make it to, to, to be with my wife in the morning to, to have a time of prayer with her. We've got to make it happen because it's not going to happen by default. And pray for us because that's a, that's a struggle. We're each in the word and everything, but you know, we need to be together and we need to pray. But the world is not going to stop for you, Christian. You've got to make every effort. You've got to fight. You've got to fight for that time and do it because the more you're close to him, the more you're going to realize his will and you're going to have the peace of God. And when you don't have peace, you step away from whatever it is that you're doing and God will never fault you. Another Christian will say, man, you've got to do it now. It's God's will. And you're like, you know what? I don't have a peace about it. Oh, man, if you're a Christian, you've got to do this. Hey, then you do it. Have you ever had a brother or sister try and, and, and you know, push you into something that they think is the, the will of God, and you're like, I don't have a peace about it? Don't you move an inch. Love them and say, you know what, I'm not budging. I don't care if you're an elder at your church. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't have a peace. I'm not moving. Have that chutzpah. Have that gut to, to not go against the word of God, to not go against your conscience. Don't let anybody rob that from you. God is in no hurry. If there's an opportunity that they're telling you is going to pass you up and somebody else is going to get it, then let somebody else get it because God is able to bring it again to you because you were cautious. And he'll probably give you something better. (laughs) He probably will. So be careful. Think of decisions. If Esau, if Eliphaz, if all these men that we talked about tonight, if they had thought ahead, if they would have considered, if they would have been obedient, their lives would have been completely different, and this world that we live in would be completely different as a result. Did those decisions have eternal ramifications? You better believe it. Not only did they have physical ramifications, because we're living in it right now, everything that's going on in the Middle East is because of this. And not only that, but the future. Heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. It has an effect. People are going to be there or they're not going to be there because of these decisions. So decisions are important, but don't let your life, don't let your heart be paralyzed by fear, but be patient. Be patient and wait upon the Lord. Just trust him. Trust him and wait upon him. Don't be in a hurry to do anything. It's better for you to pray and pass up what you think is a good opportunity. If you don't have a peace, you better not do it. I've learned, I'm learning this lesson. 
I've learned some, and I'm learning more, and I know I've got yet more to learn, but if I don't have a piece about something, I will always regret going against that piece because if he's the prince of peace and he dwells in me, I better listen, even when it looks good, even when it looks like the barriers are down and it's just, like, easy. Why don't you just walk through the door? That's all you got to do. Just walk through the door, and it's yours. I don't know, man. I just... I've been praying about this, and I don't have a peace. Are you some kind of weirdo? Why don't you just walk through the door? It's, it's right there for you. No, I'm not going to do it. I don't have a peace about it. You go home. <laughs> and then the next morning, you pick up the newspaper. Let me just give you an example. You pick up the newspaper and found out the place that you were going to walk into. Ten minutes later, a masked gunman came in and killed everybody. Oh, but why didn't you listen to the guy? It's God's will, man. Come on. I don't have a peace. Kind of takes on a whole different story, doesn't it? I mean, that's just a very stark and very kind of, uh, that's kind of a face slapper, but it can be that way. It can be much more subtle than that. But think about the decisions that you make. Pray about things. We need to be people of prayer again. I would invite you to come. On Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, we meet up here in the cafe. Please come and join us as we pray together. It is one of my favorite times of the, of the week, honestly, because it's just a, I can just sit there and I can be quiet and I can just wait upon the Lord. And if you, if you, if you think that you, you're not like a, you're not a professional prayer person, <laughs> hopefully none of us are, can you just speak what's on your heart? The small prayer is sufficient Remember what Nehemiah said before the king? When the king said, what's, your, what's wrong, uh, Nehemiah? Why, are you, why is your face so sad? Remember what it said? Nehemiah, basically, and I'll just give you the Rob Kellogg version. He said, help, Lord, in his, in, inside of his own head, in his own heart. He's just like, help, Lord. <laughs> and then he lays it out. <laughs> so get close to Jesus. Get close to him. Let's stand and pray. But join us for prayer on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. You'll never regret coming. Make time for it. Let's pray together as a body. And you know what? That is the hardest thing in the world, to pray. It's one of the most difficult things to do because you've got you to pray believing. And you've got to pray in accordance to his will. And you've got to wait for the result. We don't like to wait for anything. We want it now. Learn to be patient. I'm learning to be patient. I'm not really a patient person, but I'm learning to be patient. Boy, it's hard. Anybody think it's easy? Is it easy for anybody? It's really not. So let's pray for each other, and please join us. And be encouraged with what we read, because all of this stuff is very pertinent to our life. Very pertinent. We learn history. We also learn about ourselves. Father, we do thank you for this time. Pray that you bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Encourage them. Encourage us all, Lord, to be people of prayer and to be people of your word, Lord, to be in it daily, Father, often, as often as we can, Lord. May we open your word in the morning and may we close it at night before we go to bed. And any time in between that we got time, God, help us. Even if our understanding is, uh, even if we don't understand what we're reading, God, help us just to read it and to read it and to read it and it never stop. And go back and read it again. Lord, please help us. Help the church in this day. We're waning, Lord. We're weak. 
We need your help. Please pour out your spirit on us, Lord, once again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.